Elliot, did you see Jeff Goldblum did an interview and he said when they were turning the original novel Jurassic Park into a movie, originally they were going to write him out of the story altogether. Hey, that's peculiar because while Ian Malcolm does die in the book, um, he survives the movie, goes on to do the sequel, which in retrospect is huge for Jeff Goldblum. The guy's white hot now. Um, he's big in the Marvel movies. He's doing thirsty tweets on social media. Heck, he's even surviving all those announcements that he's committed suicide in Australia. Well, you know, it's like they say, Jeff Goldblum finds a way. Oh, there it is. There it is. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Keith Conrad and Elliot Serrato. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Well, maybe it's one of those other shows, like Outer Limits. Or... Confuse the Twilight Zone with the Outer Limits? Do you even know me? Geek Counter Geek number 116. I'm Keith Conrad, joined as always by Elliot Serrano at Keith R. Conrad on Twitter at Elliot Serrano on Twitter at Geek Counter Geek, uh, Facebook.com slash Geek Counter Geek. And, you know, we should should clarify uh, when you mentioned that, uh, you know, the Independence Day sequel wouldn't have happened without Jeff Goldblum. You meant that like as a positive that, you know, a movie wouldn't have happened without him. The result of the movie, you know, that's inconsequential. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. It survived not having uh, Will Smith, which a lot of folks wouldn't have thought. But whoop, here we are. Uh, well, it survived as in they made it. I don't think the story really survived. No, no. I mean, you know, the, the, and can you imagine that they really wanted to make another Independence Day? I mean, it set up a third, which yeah, they, they literally went through the process of writing and making that film and actually with a straight face, like did the scene that set up a third movie. So uh, that's acting right there. Uh-huh. So Jeff Goldblum's collecting them paychecks. I, I don't blame him, though. Jeff Goldblum got to eat. Which, which, by the way, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge fan of the steamed ham uh, renaissance that's been happening online uh, over the past, oh, got to be at least two to three months now, uh, where, where people, I mean, you go, go to YouTube and just type in steamed hams, and it's just amazing, the, the you know, the... the the parody versions and, and you know, the, the slight tweaks that people have uh, made to it. Uh, and, uh, and we reached peak steamed hams when uh, Jeff Goldblum actually did. Uh, um, he, he read the script as uh, a Skinner. <laughs> Wait, well, I think we'll reach it peak steam ham when they auto tune Jeff Goldblum doing the scene because that one was brilliant jesus you know i think that's the one thing that no one has done you know is just just auto-tuning steamed hams because they've done everything yeah they've done like uh you know steamed hams as a pulp fiction they've uh um you know they they just people have come up with everything you know for for all the bad stuff that's on the internet i think uh, this almost makes up for it almost uh, not quite. Uh, Remember, no. we still have we still have Pizzagate. We do, and, <laughs> uh, and uh, no, no, it's been a while since we've heard anything about Gamergate. 
Uh, and well, now it's moved on to Comic Gate, which is oh. just infinitely worse. Maybe there'll be Steamed Ham Gate. It could be, yeah. You know, somebody, uh, you know, somebody just takes somebody else's uh, new steamed hams video and they they try to pass it off as their own. I could see there being a steamed hams gate. It's all about ethics and steamed hams. Speaking of hams, um, the uh, now, now we're only what about six weeks away from uh, Solo, a Star Wars story coming out, and uh, you know, a couple weeks ago there was uh, you know a couple stories out there saying, hey, this thing is going to be a disaster. I kind of doubt that. Uh, I, I believe I, I've said on the podcast that I think that uh, at worst, I, I think it's going to be something that uh, at worst it'll be a it'll be a decent story, but like people walk out thinking, you know what, that would have been a lot better if Solo wasn't the main character. If they just like invented a new character to be the center of the story instead of it being Solo. Uh, that's my prediction for it. Um, it'll either be it'll either be decent or that'll be the main problem. That you know. You don't want this to be Han Solo's origin story. But uh, as part of the massive PR blitz for Solo, a Star Wars story, um, they've taken over Denny's. Oh, yes, they have. Although, okay, I'm of two minds about this whole thing, right? Because, you know, Star Wars is now part of the Disney, you know, the Disney kingdom, the Disney franchise. And for the most part, whenever Disney has had like a big movie out, especially something that's supposed to appeal to kids, well, you get toys at McDonald's, right? Happy Meal toys. Yeah. Now I was really looking forward to some Star Wars Happy Meal toys. You know, so anything. You know, use Solo bit. I can get my little, you know, a little, the little, a tiny plush keychain Chihuahua. I'm not Chihuahua. Chewbacca. Chewbacca <laughs> the Chihuahua. Um, you get a a, a, a wind up Millennium Falcon. You know, a Lando Calrissian on a speeder bike with the pull cord. You know, something really cool like that that you would come that would come usually in your Happy Meals. But now we're getting Denny's. We're getting the the American version of of I don't know, you know. See, because Denny's is like when you ask me, it's kind of like IHOP's cousin. But everyone thinks you know IHOP's really cool. You know, IHOP was that guy who you really like hung out with. You know, after school, IHOP was really the uh, IHOP was the breakfast place you aspired to. Right. And then Denny's is like, oh, man, he's like I have, you know, cousin who's like really cool. But, man, he's from out of town and no one really knows him. And it's obvious that he's trying too hard to win friends. <laughs> you know, so. Um, eh. But, you know, I'll, I'll get jazzed for Star Wars themed meals. I, I, I can do that. Uh, the last time. uh Denny, well, De- and Denny's has a track record of doing these things. They did Hobbit-themed meals for folks who don't. Oh, I remember, I remember that. You know, stopping mm-hmm. to Denny's for third breakfast. Third breakfasts, and then they also did a Fantastic Four menu when that movie came out. I remember actually going to Denny's to review the different uh, types of uh, uh, meal options they had there. Um, so now, poof. Uh, Denny's has decided to, you know, go with Solo, a Star Wars story. And see, if if I'm going to, you know, if if I'm going to criticize anything about it, it's just that 
they just did it. They weren't that imaginative, if you ask me about about the at least what they named the menu. You know, options. You've got for um, the special limited edition, limited time only solo of Star Wars story menu items. You have first the co-reactor pancake breakfast. Oh, okay. come on. That's it. Yeah. Co-react. It's uh, two buttermilk pancakes topped with fresh strawberries, strawberry sauce and whipped cream. OK, here, here's a kicker. Well, first of all, that's a diabetic coma on a plate. Oh, no, no. It's got it gets worse. Plus a side of crystal crunch rocks and a pitcher of warm citrus sauce to pour over your pancakes to make them go pop. All right. So, so there's pop rocks. Is that what yes. uh, is that what they're getting at? Yeah. Yes, you're getting candy to put on your pancakes, <laughs> and then wow. and then we're gonna we're gonna uh, 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 we're gonna pretend that it's good for you by throwing in two eggs, hash browns, and some bacon. So so if you have a if you have a six year old, they will not sleep for a week. No, no, you give them these pancakes, forget it. You might as well just um, um, and don't bother hiring a babysitter. Because none will have you, you know. I, I say babysitters from here on out, ask parents first before accepting that job. Did your kid eat at Denny's? Because otherwise, you know, it's not worth it. They're going to have to, if, if they want the, you to take the job, double your rate, triple your rate even. <laughs> All right. Now, then you've got the Blaster Fire Burger. Now, this one, I will admit, intrigues me. I, I do like right. alliteration, so I'll give them a, I'll give them a point yeah. or two for that. Yeah, Blaster Fire Burger. Chipotle Gouda cheese, bacon, and spicy ghost pepper sauce atop a hand-pressed 100% beef patty, served with lettuce, tomato, red onions, and pickles on a brioche bun with a choice of side. And the side they have on the website is a bacon cheddar tots. So, yeah, you know what? I think when I go into Denny's to try this out, that's the first thing I'm going to order. Now, here's where I think they they blew it. All right, diced. Uh, here's this is the item. It's called it's diced ham, fresh spinach, sautéed mushrooms and hash browns, topped with gouda cheese, cheddar gouda cheese sauce, cheddar cheese, and two eggs. Uh-huh. And what is it called? The Two Moons Skillet. Oh, see, yeah, that uh, that doesn't work at all. You know, why didn't they call it the? That's the, um, the old. That's no moons over my hammy. You know, I I was looking for the. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I think instead of doing two moons, because they're eggs anyway, right? Um, right. So why wouldn't you do two sons? Because everybody knows two sons over, you know, Tatooine. Tatooine. So yeah, sunny side up, right? Yeah. Two so sons. there so you that, go. That's where, that's where they where they blew it. They could have done that. Could have done that too. And then you have. I mean, I mean, what 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 Star Wars world is actually famous for having two moons? You know, show up when you when you think about it. Like I I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, maybe there'll be one in the new solo movie, but uh, could be. in the end, who, I mean, are, are, do you really care? Are you going to go, oh, yeah, this is from the two moons. Plus, if you look at the plate, it doesn't look like two moons. You're right. It looks like twin suns. So, yeah. How about the, the, the Tashi Station twin sun omelet or, or whatever? Well, here's a, here's a good one. 
that you already came up with a better one, the better name for their Fit Slam, right? It's the includes the egg whites scrambled together with fresh spinach and grape tomatoes, two turkey bacon strips, an English muffin, and seasonal fruit. They call that the Light Speed Slam. They could have called it the Tashi Station Power Converter. That would have made more sense too. Den- yeah. Denny's, you know, I I know that uh, you know, like Disney. And uh, Warner Brothers, you know, they all listen to this podcast for ideas. Clearly, Denny's should have as well. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, come on, guys. We're putting this stuff out there for free for you. All right. All we're going to ask is that you acknowledge that you got the idea at Geek Counter Geek, right? And this is like, absolutely no. I mean, they didn't bother me. I don't know what this is supposed to mean. But it was called, it's the Crystal Crunch Your Milkshake. This Put Crystal Crunch Rocks on your favorite milkshake flavor. What? Man, they are really trying hard to do uh, to bring back Pop Rocks, aren't they? They are. But you could have called this the Asteroid Field. Oh, or, see, that would have been perfect. Right. Or, or, or I don't know, the, the, the hand popped first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, again, I'm looking at these names. I'm like, eh, wow, that's it. That's your Star Wars themed. Uh, all I know is that whenever you know one of the local bars does a Star Wars theme night, they have way more creative names for like the drinks and menu items that they offer. I mean, look at um at um. Disney's menus whenever they do a Star Wars night. You know, they come up with all these great um, menu choices and clever names. So, you know, I'll give Denny's, you know, I don't know. This was this was menu creation by committee. And, and I'm going to tell you, everyone who was on that committee, really, I have an idea that there was one person on that committee who came up with tons of great names that they're right now going, they're looking at the menu and going, I had better, uh, I had stuff way better than this. And they, they wish that the rest of the committee had listened to him. I bet they didn't. They were probably kicked out of the room in the first five minutes. They were kicked out. And I'm going to tell you, that's a rotten shame. It is. And, uh, but, uh, while you're uh, at Denny's, uh, eating alone, uh, you might want to listen to a podcast, and in order for the podcast to sound its best, you'll definitely want to have uh, headphones and accessories from tweakedaudio.com. Oh, definitely. The tweakedaudio.com, a great sponsor of Geek Counter Geek. Check them out. You're going to find um, first eight different styles and features. All right. You're going to find uh, uh, you're going to find uh, I'm sorry, eight colors and styles, both mic and non mic versions. Each of these uh, headphones and earbuds head cans have different features. So you have um, some that are suitable for co-op gaming, some that are good for just listening to music, some that are good for answering telephone calls. Whatever you want to do, it's going to sound great, has a noise reducing design and a lifetime warranty. So here's the thing. If you go to tweakedaudio.com, make sure you use that discount code GC at checkout and not only are you going to get 33% off the total price of your order you're also going to get free worldwide shipping can't stress this enough 
you're going to find something on tweakedaudio.com at your price point. And even better, when you enter the code GCG at checkout, you're going to get 33% off and free worldwide shipping. Well, you can't beat that. And then once you uh, get the headphones, of course, you'll want to listen to some of the great uh, podcasts on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, like Minutia Men, uh, like uh, Dishing Bitches, where uh, I don't know if you saw this story, but the Dishing Bitches are talking about super gonorrhea. Uh, if you're going to have a disease, go big or go home. That's that's what I say. <laughs> well, did super gonorrhea uh, come to this planet after being um, put in a in a space capsule by his father? Uh, yes, that, that, that's my understanding. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, on the caffeinated uh, comics podcast, um, they're talking about uh, the the X Files finale, um, or as I like to call it, the thing we'll never discuss again. I'm surprised you even mentioned it. I mean, <laughs> after last week, after last week, I'm surprised you, you're even. Uh, OK, it's like Voldemort. It will not be named anymore. The movie or the, the TV show that uh, shall not be named. Um, shall not be named. Although I will say so, something inspired me to go back and watch the first X-Files movie. And that thing still holds up. That's good. Uh, it's everything they did yeah. after that, like the mythology could have ended right there would have been great, but everything they did after that kind of sucked. Not, not every episode, but like uh, the, uh, the alien mythology stuff uh, they were doing after that. It just, it just didn't, they just didn't seem to know what they were doing with it. Well, it's funny because it seemed like the movie was what pretty much wrapped it all up. So when they continued going with, you know, the conspiracies and the aliens and so on, I was like, guys, you, you, you can't go any further than this. So let it go. Yeah. And of course, this week, uh, um, Ready Player One came out and um, I have seen it. Uh, you have not. I'll just say that uh, I think it's uh, I think it's very good. I think if you've read the uh, the novel, it's uh, it's a little different from the novel. There's they definitely had to make some changes, but I think they're mostly because you know they're trying to tell the story in two-ish hours, and so you know like you couldn't have a four-hour scene where they're playing Pac-Man, you know it just it just wouldn't work. Um, so they did have to make some changes, but overall I think it, you know it's the same basic story, and I think uh, think they did a pretty good job with it. And I'll just leave it at that because I don't want to be the one who spoils you again. <laughs> well, it's funny because um, uh, it, Ready Player One, uh, I'll admit, it was one of those films that um, it just, for some reason, just did not, nothing about it has really motivated me to see it. Um, uh, I saw the trailer. I know the story. Um I was one. Of, I was one of those folks that way back when, before the book was even released, um, I was. Uh, I got an advanced copy, and I got to talk to Ernest Klein and and interviewed him for Red Eye and 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 all these things, and um, but I never really, um, it never really uh, uh, caught fire with me because, see, here's the thing. I'm getting to the point where I'm just getting tired of everybody just pulling all these pop culture references from the eighties and the nineties together and putting them in a blender and spitting them back out at me again. And I've got to go, Oh yay, Quay, woo, my childhood, my childhood, especially after the last Jedi pretty much taught me to let go of the past and kill it. If I have to. Uh, so. Yeah, that would, that was the message. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Eh. Kill it even if you uh, don't have to. That's, if you don't have to. So to me, you know, I'm hoping that maybe Ready Player One is will be the crescendo, the crescendo and the eventual death of of regurgitating the 80s and 90s and making old people like me go out and buy it and see it. So, you know, but that's just me. Could be, you know, my to, to me, my uh, my biggest outrage and I, I I couldn't remember if this actually is the case in the book or not. Um, at least if it was, it, it wasn't mentioned enough that it really jumped out at me. Uh, but the biggest outrage was the fact that the uh, the, the the car, the uh, DeLorean, you know, from from the race, it's the DeLorean from Back to the Future. But it has the the scanner thing from uh, Kit on Knight Rider. It it bothered it bothered me in the movie. It took me out of the story. <laughs> what the hell's going on there? Uh, uh, wait, I, I'm guessing. Wait, the the uh, Kit doesn't appear. Uh, I don't. No, I, I don't think so. Well, there you go. Hashtag missed opportunity. I, th- I think so, yeah. So, uh, so in honor of, uh, of Ready Player One, which uh, it, it did uh, quite well at the box office, uh, probably not quite uh, Black Panther money, but, but, but good money. Um, you know, Spielberg's not going to be, uh, be hurting for anything. Um, I thought we would, uh, we would discuss what we think our uh, top five Spielberg uh, movies are. Uh, I have my list. All right. Uh, are we rating them? Do we want to go from five to one to five, or in no particular order? Um, you know, I I would say that they're all pretty. Uh, you know, for, for me, they're they're kind of in a in a in a five way tie for number one. You know, uh, yeah, but 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 um, yeah, I, I would say five to one. All right. So for me, of course, number five. Um, and this is actually the movie where I first discovered Steven Spielberg. I hadn't seen much of his, um, although I could be wrong. Uh, I could have seen this one after I saw another one that's on my list. But number five is going to be Duel. Really? Du- Duel is one that uh, so- somehow it, it has come up a lot uh, over the past couple of weeks while they've been doing... Uh, you know, doing a press for Ready Player One, and it, I don't think it's even referenced in the movie. But um, you know, because because there there are things like you know, Back to the Future that are, that are referenced, and Spielberg was involved in that. But he tried to avoid stuff that he actually directed. Right. right. Um, uh, so yeah, that that's come up a lot. That that was like that, probably the first time in twenty five years I had even heard about Duel. Yeah, and for folks who don't know, Duel was Spielberg's uh, one of his first movie, but it was made for television, um, starring Dennis Weaver. I remember seeing Duel one afternoon. I want to say it was um, like an like a Saturday afternoon movie on Channel Seven, and uh, it stars Dennis Weaver who I knew at that point as McLeod. Remember mm-hmm. McLeod, the detective, right. you know, with the cowboy hat? And Dennis Weaver is this, like this traveling salesman. He's on the road, and he finds himself suddenly being um, stalked and harassed by a truck driver in a, you know, a truck. And it's essentially him driving down the road, and every once in a while this guy in his truck is just trying to kill him. 
and the tension slowly builds over time over time until you have this great big um car chase at the end it's this big you know thing in the end and 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 it's it's i remember again watching this movie on the television alone in my living room and just being blown away going oh my god what's going to happen next what's going to happen next mm -hmm. and the the thing that really sticks out about this film is that you never see the truck driver. You never see his face. You see the truck. And at one point, you see his hand like out of the window, you know, out of the, the driver's side window. But you never see him. So there was this air of mystery about the truck driver, that but particular character. It, it's kind of like the uh, shark in Jaws where exactly. know, he's like, more scary because you don't see him. You don't see him. And um, it's an incredible it's an incredible film that you can find it on a blue, uh, DVD now. Um, I remember buying it. You know, you can find it like in a five dollar bin or something like that. And, it, you know, you watch it. It's just great. It's like a no more than it's like Dennis Weaver essentially carries the whole movie. It's kind of like just following him as all this stuff happens. He has a few interactions with other characters, but it's all mostly him driving in the truck. It's almost when you think about it, it's almost like the movie is an entire, it's a chase. It's a car chase for the entire movie, but it works. Unlike the last Jedi. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, uh, the, uh, the writer that was uh, Richard mm -hmm. Matheson, who did, uh, did a lot of twilight zone episodes and uh, he wrote, uh, I am legend. Uh, if you didn't like the Will Smith mm -hmm. one, he also mm -hmm. uh, did, you know, uh, the Omega Man and and the original I Am Legend. So you know, and Duel um, is accredited for inspiring a J.J. Abrams movie, uh, which also involved a trucker. In a, I want to say Steve Zahn and some other characters. The trucker was voiced by Ted Levine. Uh, and it's very similar. I, I can't remember the name. Um, use your Google foo, um, Captain Producer Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's uh, it's it's also very well done. And I remember J.J. Abrams saying that um, he came up with the idea for the film from you know watching Duel. And you you know uh, we've talked about this in the past that J.J. Abrams is essentially uh, Steve Steven Spielberg 2.0. He really is, yeah. Um, so, um, and uh, and the character, the the Ted Levine uh, trucker character, also you never see him in that film either, but you do get to hear his voice. So, um, considering that duel itself, you watch it today, it's still fun. It's a fun movie. Uh, there is one scene, though, if you pay attention, there's one scene where the Dennis Weaver character is talking in a phone booth. And, and uh, you can see the reflection of Steven Spielberg and, and the camera guy recording <laughs> Dennis Weaver <laughs> in there because this was a made-for-TV movie and Spielberg was on a budget and he was on a schedule. He just went boom, 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 and he got that baby done on time, which, of course, is one of Spielberg's um, hallmarks is that he's, all, he's very efficient and he's always on time with his shooting dates. You never hear about Spielberg going, over budget uh going over on shooting dates you know he's very good with it and um you know that's why of course he works so darn much in hollywood besides being an incredibly talented filmmaker how about joyride that's what the movie was that is correct joyride yeah i don't see uh 
Yeah. Okay. So yeah, J.J. Abrams did uh, write that. It was in Ought One, and yeah, uh, yeah I, I do remember that. It's uh, mostly forgettable, but but yeah, it's it's, it's kind of the same idea. The same idea, yes. But I mean, I remember watching Joyride and going, geez, this feels a lot like Duel. It reminds me of Duel. And yeah, later on he would say, yeah, I was inspired by that. Uh, so what's your what's your number four movie? Or do you want to hear my number five? And we'll, we'll... Hit, hit me with your five. Uh, my number five movie would have been Minority Report. Well, that's a good one. And, and I think that, um, you know, and, and, you know, we've talked about this before that I, I'm uh, I'm a big uh, Philip K. Dick fan and Minority Report is, is based on a... Uh, on a short story of his. Um, but I think that um, because, um, you know, I, I didn't mind the movie at, at the time, but, uh, you know, over the years, I've really soured on uh, the War of the Worlds that, uh, that Spielberg did in, in 05. And I think, like, up until, like, I, I wouldn't put um, Ready Player One on this, you know, this list of, uh, of top five movies. But I would say that before Ready Player One, like Minority Report was his last really good sci-fi movie. You know, to me, I, I really enjoyed Minority Report all the way up until the scene where, spoiler, if you haven't seen it, and the movie's only, what, 10, 12 years old? Uh, 15, oh, no. 15 at this point. 15 years yeah. old, right. Um, where Tom Cruise's character shoots the man who he suspected kidnapped and killed his son, you know, um, because uh, to me, what I loved about Minority Report was this whole uh, bit where, you know, it's predestination, right? Yeah. You know, you, you know, the, the things happen the way they happen. You can't change them. And the Tom Cruise character is such a zealot about that. I mean, this whole thing with pre-crime and, and enforcing the law as interpreted through pre-crime is like religion to him. You know, wow. And, and, and there, there you got to have Tom Cruise, you know, <laughs> focus a little bit and, of a Scientologist. You know? <laughs> and he's also, you know, at this point, uh, He's no longer an innocent guy running from, uh, you know, running from, you know, being unfairly targeted, you know, by the uh, by the pre-crime crime people because he actually did it. So he's not he's not innocent anymore. Right. So you're there going on. And I thought, oh, wow, what a great way to end this. I thought I thought the movie ended there. And at that point, I was like, holy mackerel. Steven Spielberg did a movie with a down ending. I can't believe it. This is like something breakthrough and new. And then the movie keeps going for another half hour. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> so again, great concept. But it reminded me of a joke that I had read in, in, a, in a comic book years and years and years ago. This is back when I was in high school. There's this comic book called E-Man. And it was about this, um, this uh, superhero. He's like a essentially a ball of energy. He's like an, uh, uh, an alien ball of energy that has turned himself, like compressed himself and turned himself into a human being. Like he looks like a person and, um, but he doesn't understand people. Right. Right. And so at one point he meets, I mean, it's Steven Spielberg, but you know, it's a pseudonym, but you know, it's like a, like a cartoon satirist, satir satirical version of Steven Spielberg, kind of like um, Esteban Spielbergo from the Simpsons, right? <laughs> right? And, 
So E-Man is learning about, you know, humankind, and he talks to this Steven Spielberg anachronism, and the guy goes, yeah, have you seen my version of Old Yeller? You know, the one where the dog lives at the end? (laughs) (laughs) I flash back to that moment after seeing Minority Report. I'm going, oh, look, he Old Yellered. He did an Old Yeller, but he manages to save the dog at the end, which to me, funny uh, was actually kind of depressing. I, I think Spielberg would only do that if he had made the original uh, Old Yeller. You know, he would have. It would have been like E.T., where he he re-released it with uh, walkie-talkies instead of shotguns. Um, you know, Spielberg would have done that to his own movie. I, I don't think he would have made a new version of uh, of Old Yeller where the dog survived. Yeah, he's. Uh, I, well, maybe when he makes a movie about a dog, we'll see. That that's true. So, what, what's your uh, number four movie? Uh, my number four is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, see, not, not to get uh, ahead of ourselves, but I had that at number three. You have it at number three? I yeah. put it in number four uh, because um, that was when he, it's like the indie series, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, the indie series was starting to show it's tread, you know, you can tell you see that tread was starting to go a little bit bald on, on those tires, but bringing Harrison Ford and Sean Connery together, you know, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones with Sean Connery as Henry Jones, but most indie nerds know Indiana Jones was inspired by James Bond. Right. So when you bring in when the original James Bond to be alongside Indiana Jones, what what more can you ask for? Basically, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were like, you know, we'd really like to make a James Bond movie, but you know, we're not British, so they won't let us. So, let so us why don't we? Why don't we just make our own James Bond? Which they did, and that movie itself just works purely on the chemistry between Ford and Connery. It's just yeah. just purely on that. This, the plot is ridiculous. Um, the stunts, we're talking whenever, it, when people complain about the stunts that occur in um, a Crystal Skull, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I go, guys, look at Last Crusade. The stunts in Last Crusade are even more ridiculous than the ones in Temple of Doom. Uh, my my favorite, and I don't know that it would necessarily qualify as a stunt. It's more of a special effect thing. When the tank goes off the cliff and it's rolling over, and the the guy I can't remember the the Nazi uh, the Nazi guy he's still in the tank while it's rolling over, but it's like clearly a doll. That right. that actually yeah. makes me laugh every time. Right, right. Because but you're supposed to see him getting crushed by the tank. Yeah. But yeah, but it's real obvious that it's not a real not a real person. So, I mean, it's, again, the indie movies are homages to the B films. So that was the little B movie quality in there. Um, So, yeah, uh, number four, uh, Last Crusade. Uh, My number four was Lincoln. Um, One of his, obviously, uh, more more recent movies. That was, what, uh, 2012, I think? Um, Because one of the things that they did when they were promoting that is they had, like, a big extended trailer during the presidential debates, which to me made me think, wow, both of these guys look kind of bad compared to Lincoln. But uh, (laughs) everybody would look kind of bad compared to Lincoln. You know, it's like I remember seeing that movie and... um... Because so much, uh, you know, was made of Daniel Day-Lewis's performance. And... um... You know, you know what the interesting thing about that is. Uh, obviously, nobody knows what Lincoln, 
you know, like like people have described what his voice was like, but there's no there's no footage of Lincoln. So like, how do you know that's what Lincoln was like? So, you know, like it always kind of amused me that Daniel Day-Lewis got so much credit for that because you don't know that that's accurate. Right. I mean, we do know I've read I've read you're right. I've read some of the accounts where it, they did say he kind of had kind of like a higher pitch nasally tone to his voice yeah. that when you first listen to him talk, it was kind of annoying. But as he as he continued with his oration and he got animated and he spoke, you were like you. It, it seemed like there uh, a, a real like life came to his voice, and you were like, "Oh yes!" And 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 after that, you know, he he was like this incredible speaker that people were just. Um, enthralled by mm-hmm. but you know this whole thing where people always thought that Lincoln had a deep baritone to his voice which seemed to be the thing that came out you know over time that um you know wasn't uh, wasn't the case and, and also you know um you know and this is based on you know historical fact um Lincoln was not very well liked <laughs> you know he, he was he was he was actually like really well liked among the you know just the general population uh, but among politicians, like everybody hated his guts. You know, the other Republicans, they they didn't like him. And that, you know, that's portrayed. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones calls basically calls him the enemy. And he's a you know, they're all Republicans. Um, hey, but but the thing that was really um, uh, like, I don't know, it, it instructive for me was um, just like how similar politics was back then. You know, like you, you like to think, you know, I, I think everybody likes to think that um you know, like like we've reached a new low. No, it, it's kind of the same as it was uh, 150 years ago. And uh, but the one thing that I will say is, you know, you don't really go to uh, you know a, a, a movie of any kind, you know, even a Spielberg movie for a historical lesson. But it actually is a really good uh, a really good sort of primer on how the Constitution works. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think that's kind of I'm guessing what Spielberg wanted to do. I mean. I mean, I remember when the movie came out, they were saying high schoolers need to go see this film. Yeah. You know, he, he was trying to bring history to life, you know, so you could really appreciate it. And, you, and no, you're absolutely right. Well, you see some of those um, those bits when, you know, the, when they're in the Congress and and the two parties are insulting each other and and, you know, the Democrats, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is. <laughs> You know, and and and, and, oh, and listening to to uh, 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 American politicians with British accents. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I think a lot of times people forget that, but yeah, um, yeah. Like there, there's a scene where um, uh, Seward is like, I, you know, he basically says that he he won't even talk to Democrats, and I'm like, oh, so that's pretty much like today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so we've already uh, we've already established that my number three was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So, what was your uh, number three? Okay, now I'm going to move forward with three, two, and one, and say that these are my faves. These are movies by Spielberg that I'm going to sit down and watch again and again and again because they entertain me. And I know there are some movies on this list <clears throat> that people are going to go, Elliot. How could you? Okay, I'm gonna say it right now. Okay, I'm gonna say it right now, and I and I know this is gonna offend a lot of folks. Schindler's List is not here. Okay, because as brilliant as Schindler's List is, 
as incredibly moving and as incredibly um, heart-wrenching that film is, I can't watch it. I watched it once in the theater and the movie devastated me. I can't watch it again. I just Um, can't. Yeah, I I would compare it to, um, you know, and obviously this movie has a lot of baggage with it, and I I admit that, but it's like... um, it's like uh, watching the Passion of the Christ, where it's actually you know it's a it's a good movie that's really well made and compelling and everything, but I've seen it once in the theaters and that's enough. Like I mm-hmm. I, I can only watch uh, I can only watch uh, Jesus get uh, get the living snot beaten out of him once, and that's enough. And, yeah. and it's sort of the same thing with Schindler's List that you know what it, it's it's good for people uh, you know it, it's um, you know, it's it's great that Spielberg made made this movie. I think it's it's really an important movie. But once you've seen it and and you you and you know it, I, I think uh, I'm I'm in the same boat with you. I I don't need to see it again. And it's the same for Saving Private Ryan, another one where again blown away. But when you get to the part at the end when that you know when that group of soldiers is fighting those German soldiers. And it's all going to hell for them. It's just I can't. It's it's yeah. it was it's just too difficult to watch again. Well, oh, sa- okay, Saving so- Private Ryan, mm-hmm. since you since you mentioned it, was my number two movie. Number two. Oh, yeah. well, you're a better man than me. So I'm going to go with the safe route. And of course, um, and this was close. This was really really close. But <sighs> E.T. the Extraterrestrial is number three. Yeah, that, that um, you know, uh, for, me, for me, it was between E.T., The Extraterrestrial and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, that was which... my number one movie. Oh, really? Um, right. and, and, you know, on, on my list, E.T. and Jaws, um, you know, they, they, they didn't make the cut. And it's, it's not because they're not great movies. It's just, you know, um, you know, it, they, they were, you know, say, tied for. They were tied for second, and these five movies were tied for number one. Right. And, and of course, E.T., the extraterrestrial being one of those, we're talking, one of those rare once-in-a-generation movies, right? Right. That hits on so many levels. I remember when I, when I, saw, I, saw, e, I saw this movie in the theater, and I'm talking, mind you, this was back when movies would be in the theater for months and months, sometimes even a year before they got pulled from the theater, right? And I remember seeing this movie long after the, you know, and we're talking, it's like the whole, everyone's saying E.T. this, I was getting E.T. quoted to me all the time. Of course, my name is Elliot, so I kept hearing the E.T. jokes, (laughs) E.T. phone home. You'd think that after all that, I'd say, screw E.T., I don't want to hear about this movie ever again. This is probably the stupidest movie, most overhyped movie I've ever seen. I went to the theater to see it. I was still blown away by the end. I was freaking crying at the end. By by the way, I I, sh- I should yeah. point out I, I I should I should point out that uh, I don't believe that this ever actually comes up in the movie because you never actually see it written out. But I will say that uh, Elliot is spelled with two L's and two T's. Yes, well there we go. Right, so uh, 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 yeah, okay, uh, yeah. But <laughs> all I know is that E.T. was that movie that it survived everybody hyping it up for me. 
And I was, and I was like, oh, there we go. Okay, this is this is a really, and it was again, it was Spielberg hitting. This was back when Spielberg was able to push your buttons, you know, those emotional buttons, and you didn't see it, you didn't quite see it as much, or you didn't notice that he was pushing your buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's one of those that that would be it for me. Uh, so what so what else was on, on your list then? Uh, number two, um, Jaws. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you, you had Jaws. The, the thing about Jaws is, I'm gonna, uh, I have seen Jaws, I don't know how many times. Um, the, only, the only movie, the only Spielberg movie I see more than Jaws is the one that's number one on my list. Uh, but the thing about Jaws, bringing it back to o- overall, first, um, Duel, there's a bit from Duel that's in Jaws, uh, something that um, Spielberg tries to put in his movies um, at the very end of Duel when the truck falls over a cliff and is crashing down, crashing down. It makes this sort of roaring sound. Uh-huh. And uh, as it explodes, it makes this roaring sound. And that you can hear that exact you can hear that sound as you see the shark in Jaws tumbling down, tumbling down in that, you know, that cloud of blood after Brody's, you know, blown it up, um, tumbling down into the ocean. Um, you hear that same roar. And it was a Spielberg kind of like pulling back saying, you know, this is where I started and I'm, I'm taking, you know, something from my, you know, my very beginnings of making films and I'm putting it in this blockbuster. And, I, I'm so, and to me, the thing about Jaws is, yes, the shark looks fake. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. But that that movie holds up. I'm telling you, it holds up something serious. We're talking the performances by um, Roy Scheider, uh, uh, um, uh, Richard Dreyfus, and um, Robert Shaw. Yes, Robert Shaw. You know, that whole bit when they're, you know, Robert Shaw as Quint is talking about delivering the, the bomb on the, you know. Oh, yeah. The, the, the Indianapolis. In, yeah. In Indianapolis. Oh, I just it, it just captivates me I, every time. I, I could literally like uh, if I if I'm bored, sometimes I will literally uh, will look up that just that speech on, on YouTube because it's that good. It is. It's that great. And the whole bit, you know, again, Spielberg was so, I mean, knowing, of course, that the shark was going to give him, the, was giving him all these problems. And as we said, he did very, you know, showed the shark very little early on, again, because of the technical issues. But it worked out perfectly. Um, and you see a lot of the, again, more of Spielberg's um, kind of, he's able to push your buttons with the way he cuts film and, and, and sets up a shot. Um, because I remember when I'm watching, when I was watching Saving, Saving Private Ryan at the end of, you know, near the end, the big climax, when the, the American troops are trying to defend the bridge against the Nazis with that tank. Right. And they got this whole plan set up. We're going to stop the tank by doing this. Or instead of a barricade, da, 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 da. And what happens? The tank comes up from behind them. And they're going, <laughs> And I remember watching that scene in, as I'm watching Saver Private Ryan, and I was going, holy shit, that's the shark from Jaws. 
You know? <laughs> it is, it's just, yeah. You know, it's just like the shark from Jaws. So they're going. So you can see, you know, I, that's what I started recognizing more of Spielberg's little tricks. You know, his little, um, you know, uh, narrative tricks to kind of jump you and and think he's going left instead of right, and it's just really, really clever. So again, you know, Jaws is, you know, a, almost almost a perfect film. Yeah, um, I, I think it yeah. is. Yeah. But number one, my number one, an all-time favorite Steven Spielberg movie, and this is a movie that I don't care what time, where it's, if it's, if it's on cable and I'm flipping through and it's on, I don't care at what point it is, I'll sit down and I'll keep watching it, or I'll watch it, you know, on, on my Blu-ray when I get a chance, you know, if I have nothing to do and I just feel like being entertained. Quite possibly the most perfect action movie in American cinema, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that that is just to me, I, I can't get enough of it. And yeah. that, it planted the nerd seed. My love for that character, Indiana Jones, right there. And here's the ironic part. I'm going to tell you this right now. This is a bit. When Raiders of the Lost Ark first came out in theaters way back when, was it 1981, was it? Yeah, 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 1981. I never saw it in the theater. Because the title, Raiders of the Lost Ark, completely turned me off. It reminded me too much of the Los Angeles Raiders. And I'm not an L.A. Raiders fan. (laughs) (laughs) I remember. And I I remember watching um, at the movies with Siskel and Ebert. And this this is when they were, you know, doing their, their reviews. And they show a clip. You know, the, 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 of course, the famous scene of Indy outrunning the boulder. And they did nothing but gush about Raiders of the Lost Ark and what a great movie it was. And for some reason, I still wasn't motivated to see it. My. By, by the way, when I first saw it, I think it was, uh, I think it was five or six. And uh, I uh, was very disappointed that the Ark was the Ark of the Covenant and not Noah's Ark. Yes, that's the other one, too. That's right. Exactly. That was my other thing, too. I remember uh, when I saw uh, Ebert's review in the Chicago Sun-Times and I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I thought, oh, some guy found Noah's Ark, and then Noah's Ark of the Covenant went, eh, pass. <laughs> so, so a buddy of mine, his father was a, was a, a cable technician and, a, you know, and worked on TVs and stuff like that somehow got a bootleg copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark on VHS. And this is before it was released on VHS. And I'm pretty sure the movie was still in theaters at this time. We watched it in his house. I watched it for the first time on television, on VHS. Thought it was the greatest thing ever. The scene when Indy shoots the swordsman, we're all watching it together. We were cracking up, and I'm there going, holy crap, wait, this is a video, right? You can rewind. We can watch that scene again, right? <laughs> we that scene like three, four times because we were, we were dying. It was a great and, it and it's like it was all it all came together full circle for me for the whole the whole Steven Spielberg experience. The very first Spielberg movie I ever saw was Duel on television. And my all time favorite Spielberg movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I also saw on a television screen. Mind you, since so, then, I've gone to see everything in the theater. Yeah, so, so you know, everybody else may think of, uh, you know, Spielberg as this, uh, you know, this big screen, uh, you know, spectacle kind of guy. But no, you're just, you're just sitting at home with your feet up watching him on TV. 
watching around TV and enjoying every moment of it. Uh, yeah, so so my uh, uh, my number one movie, is, uh, as I mentioned, was uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I think that, uh, you know, like, like when I was when I was young, you know, my dad, um, uh, you know, my my mom would watch, you know, like all the uh, all the stuff that would be on Turner Classic Movies now, you know, like Cary Grant movies and things like that. And my dad would always be uh, into the sci-fi stuff. And I remember when I was young, like movies that I actually really like now, like 2001 and uh, the right stuff. Like I thought, you know, oh, these are really long and kind of boring. But uh, Close Encounters is one that I probably should have thought was really long and kind of boring, but I just loved it. I thought it was great. Well, it's because Richard Dreyfuss' performance just really carries that film. You know, he's just to me. I I mean, I've I've watched I've watched Close Encounters recently. I want to say came up on cable a while back and I was watching it. Now, you watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind now. It is that movie is a time capsule. It really is. Yeah. For, for the yeah for the time it was for the time it was and, made. And what's funny is you know so so I'm growing up in you know I'm I'm very young in like the you know the the mid to late 80s, and and you know that's when I'm seeing it for the first time. And even then, a lot of the stuff was dated. Well, you had you know, and the, 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 you had um, let's see. You had the it had everything though. You had the government conspiracy, right? You had um, uh, family splitting up, so that's uh, that's, that's very up. Spielbergian, right? Um, the special effects were interesting. I think that's the one thing that that folks did fixate a lot on in Close Encounters. But when you think about it, there's very little UFO action in Close Encounters for what it is. No, just to, um, just at the end, yeah. And and the scene in the middle when the the, the ships are going down the highway late yeah. at night, remember? Yeah. Um. And 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 uh, this is a funny thing too. I read the comic book adaptation of Close Encounters of the Third Kind before I saw the movie. Really? Yeah. yeah. And I remember it was like um, uh, that was back when Marvel Comics was doing adaptations of movies all the time, cranking them out, cranking them out. And I want to say. I've, I I read the comic book adaptation. Well, actually, I read the book, the paperback, Empire Strikes Back, before I saw the movie. And then I read the comic book before I saw the movie. And it was the same for Return of the Jedi. I read the comic book before I saw the movie. <laughs> I, uh, I spoiled myself like mad. Well, I, um, I remember that uh, um, uh, like some weeks before I had, had seen uh, Close Encounters for the first time, uh, my dad showed me this documentary about the Bermuda Triangle from like the late seventies, mm-hmm. and it was talking about um, Flight Nineteen. And so then, as as we're watching the beginning of uh, Close Encounters, he's like, "Hey, you know, this is these are the airplanes from you know Flight Nineteen at at the very beginning." So so I think that might have actually been why I clicked in my head because I actually knew what I was looking at. Oh, see, and that's the thing too because I remember. Um, they reference that in the comic book, like they find all these planes in the middle of the desert. And I remember when the, the movie was first released, it didn't have that scene. And then later on, there was the Close Encounters special edition when Spielberg would put in scenes that were cut out for the theatrical release. So I saw, I remember going, seeing it first, reading, uh, seeing it first in the comic book. But then when I saw the movie, I'm going, wait a minute, where's the scene where they find the planes in the desert? They don't, 
Yeah, they don't even yeah. have that in there. I, I can see why they would have, uh, you know, like that's the only version that I've ever even seen. But I can see why they would have, uh, like, why Spielberg or the studio or both would have decided to uh, cut that out because that's kind of an obscure reference. Right. Although the comic book and the movie both had the scene where Terry Gar go, you know, Richard Dreyfus as a Terry Gar, the ship looked like an ice cream cone. And Terry Gar responds, an ice cream cone? What flavor? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. I'm telling you. It is. It's it's right up there with, uh, this is important. This means something. And then, and then, of course, you know, if uh, if anyone had a cell phone back then, game over, guys. Oh, and I really enjoyed that, how at the end, uh, the aliens were here to talk to us. And the nerds took over. And next thing you know, we were talking in code and music. And it was there about, you know, it was all about reaching out to each other. And a man pretty much abandoning his family. The Proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cabotron. They were looking at, at writing out uh, Ian Malcolm altogether. Yeah, but, I mean, think about it. The dude is like... Red hot. I mean, when the first Jurassic Park movie came out, you know, I mean, he was still big from Independence Day. And look at him now. He's, you know, Mr. Pop Culture doing um, thirst tweets on Twitter, appearing in Marvel movies. I mean, come on. It's it's how could Okay, sorry. <laughs> I had a, I had I was trying to set you up, and I was coming up with a punchline, so I need to set you up. Um, he, he's even doing thirsty tweets. I'll do with that. He's even doing. He's even reading thirsty tweets, and then you'll go and as well, Jeff Goldblum found the way. Yeah, there we go. All okay. right, let's, let's set up. Set me up again, please. And he keeps surviving all those all those false reports of him committing suicide in Australia too. So <laughs> that's what I'll say. And I'll leave it with that. And then you'll go. Uh, Jeff Goldblum finds found a way. Ways. Finds a way. And then you can put that drop in. Yeah. Ellie, did you see Jeff Goldblum was giving an interview, and he said when they were making the original Jurassic Park, and they were they were turning the book into a movie that uh, originally they were going to write Ian Malcolm out of the movie altogether. Uh, that, that's peculiar because, I mean, of course, if you read the original book, um, Ian Malcolm does die. He, you know, his character does die. Uh, but he proved just so popular in the movie. I mean, at that point, you know, Jeff Goblin became red hot. I mean, you know, Independence Day sequel. I don't think it gets done without him. He's huge in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, the dude's like... Doing all the interviews, he's reading thirsty tweets, you know, for, on social media, and heck, he even keeps surviving all those those uh, fake suicide uh, attempts that they keep. Rep- <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! And I, I, I'm sorry, and I was talking too. This, I'm making this cold open too fucking long. Um, <laughs> Let's do it one more time. Okay. One more time. I swear. I swear. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is it. This is a good one. <laughs> Ellie, did you see Jeff Goldblum did an interview and he said when they were turning the original novel Jurassic Park into a movie, originally they were going to write him out of the story altogether. 
Hey, that's peculiar because while Ian Malcolm does die in the book, um, he survives the movie, goes on to do the sequel, which in retrospect is huge for Jeff Goldblum. The guy's white hot now. Um, he's big in the Marvel movies. He's doing thirsty tweets on social media. Heck, he's even surviving all those announcements that he's committed suicide in Australia. Well, you know, it's like they say, Jeff Goldblum finds a way. But life uh, finds a way. <laughs> 